I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. Ecclesiastes chapter number 7. When we ended chapter number 6 last time, Solomon said, For who knoweth what is good for man in this life all the days of his vain life, which he spendeth as a shadow? For who can tell a man what shall be after him under the sun, apart from God? Now, when he states here is no one can know what's absolutely the best. But then he comes into chapter 7 and chapter 8, and he says things like, but I do remember some of the things of wisdom and the Proverbs. And he actually kind of goes back to his proverbial writings here and say there are some things, there are some Proverbs for the pathway, things that do work. And so he is while we may not know everything that's going to happen, there are some things we can apply to our pathway as we go. Now, in these first 12 verses, as he deals with uh, some comparisons and things, I, I want to show with you that there are some words that are being used in this particular chapter that are repeated quite often. First of all is the word wisdom. Wisdom is used six times in chapter number seven, two times in chapter number eight. Then there's the word good, and it occurs in this book of Ecclesiastes 25 times in 21 verses. It occurs two times in the first 12 verses that we're dealing with right now in chapter number seven, and a total of three times in the entire chapter of seven. The word better is used 20 three times in 21 verses in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it is used eight times in chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Now, it's very interesting because we're wrapping this all around the word good and better, and so we see the wisdom of that which is compared to. We're going to use comparative wisdom. What Solomon is going to say is there are some things that you can't have on the pathway of life. He's going to go back to his roots of wisdom, and though he continues to come between uh, the under the sun and not always get it right, he does remember some things that he did pick up in the book of Proverbs when he was writing those. And so let's take a look at these and see what he's talking about. The first one that we're going to deal with, he says a good name is better than precious ointment. There's the first phrase. And then there's a a little semicolon there, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. And that's the first verse completely. Now, when we take a look at this, a good name, 
the idea of this is having a name that is not in reproach. We talk about it in our day and age as having a good reputation. Certainly, uh, we want to have a good reputation. We want to know that our name is right. In fact, uh, it says here in chapter 7, verse 1, a good name is better than precious ointment. In Proverbs 22, 1, Solomon wrote, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Solomon says, hey, a good name is better than having riches. A good name is better than being rich. Having a reputation of money is nowhere near as good as having a reputation that you have a name that people can trust. In the, the, the days that uh, my mom and dad grew up, and I actually have done business with some people that are like I am. You don't We don't do it much today, but back in the 80s, I can remember doing some business, uh, writing some computer programs for a friend of mine, and we never, never, never had a contract. Today, that would not be wise, but we did everything on a handshake because his word and my word from a period of knowing each other, we knew was absolutely outstanding. The reputation proceeded. And when they came time to be able to find the people that were going to become deacons in the church, he said, Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report. They have a good name. They have a good reputation, who are full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this our business. A good name is better than precious ointment, than the wonderful perfumes of the day. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, that probably has some people scratching their head. Uh, is it better to go to the uh, funeral? Do you have more of a, of a good time at the funeral, or do you have it more at the arrival of a brand-new person? Well, I think most people would say, hey, having a brand-new life arrive is so much more exciting and wonderful than the horror and the, the sorrow of a funeral. But Solomon is saying something here that is very much important to us, and that is attending a funeral is better because it reminds us of some things. And one of the things it reminds us of is we will not escape death. It brings us to a seriousness in life. The principle here is not that the birth is minimized, not that the joy of a birth is minimized, but that it is better to become serious about where we are in life with our God and come to grips with our mortality and that we will leave this life than it is to look at the birth and get nothing out of it because it is appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. And here's the thing. Everyone will have a appointment with death. It's what happens after that that is the key to where you spend eternity. And so if it sobers someone up to say, hey, and, and many times at a funeral of a Christian, we hope and pray that as the gospel is given there in that funeral service or homegoing service or celebration of life service, our prayer is that any who are lost would realize because of the setting that they are in, come to grips with the fact that mortality sets in and there is a day that will come for them 
And what then? What's after that? And they need to come to grips and look at the reality because death is a eye-opener to is there's something more to this. Well, the Bible says, yes, there is. And it's called forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. In the construct of that, a good name is better and the day of death is better than one's birth because you learn more. At birth, you as a person don't learn much at birth because you now have to grow and learn the language and you're just a baby that has to be taken care of. But when you get to the place where you're taking care of yourself, you realize that there has got to be a future. Now we come to the next little couplet here, the next better. And, it, and this one starts in verse 2, and it goes down into verse 4, because we don't see the word better again till verse 5. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And then verse 5, it talks about it is better, and we switch gears. Now we're talking about sorrow is better than laughter and it's better to go uh, to the house of mourning than the house of feasting and it is better than wow that doesn't sound right does it you would think solomon do you saying we should never laugh or or enjoy life no that is not what he's saying because he's already told us in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. The whole idea of that is when you have a cheerful heart, a, uh, a joyous spirit, it produces endorphins. They're good for you. They make you feel good. They give you a sense of well-being. It is, and it does good like a medicine. But a broken spirit, oh, that just dries out the bones. So Solomon is trying to tell us something here by comparison. This is a good thing, but comparatively, this is something we need to look at. First of all, there is a sobering in sorrow. We, we look at why we're sorrowing, and it wakes us up. It alerts us to something that's not right. And there is a sobering that we need in life. The Bible talks about in the New Testament often, be sober. Be vigilant for your adversary. Uh, the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. It talks about in the book of James to be sober, to be alert, to, to be awake. Isaiah multiple times, awake, awake. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 13, awake unto righteousness and sin not for some have not the knowledge of God. Actually, that's 1 Corinthians uh, 15. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Uh, now it is high time to awake out of sleep is the one in Romans. So we see that when we talk about going in, in this house of mourning rather than the house of feasting, we go to the house of feasting and it's all about us enjoying and en the, the things. But the house of mourning, it is sobering. We, we're not just rejoicing and laughing and cutting up and things just kind of go by. Now where it's like, oh, something's happened. I need to evaluate this. I need to look at this. Why is this happening? Why is this going on? And we find ourselves in the door of will we become 
wiser through the life of God and God's wisdom, or will we implore man's wisdom and try to figure it out? I've had people ask me, you know, preacher, what should I do here? And I show them God's wisdom from the word, and then they go and they take the world's wisdom. And then they would come back and say, I don't know what to do about this. And I would give them again God's wisdom of the word, and they would go implore another type of man's wisdom, different from the first one. And I had one particular instance where this happened between this person and me multiple times over years before they ever finally said, okay, I'm going to take God up on his word and do what this says. And then the entire thing resolved itself. And I said, why didn't you do that first and prove God first instead of going back to worldly wisdom? This does not contradict anything, but it gives us to compare. These are comparatives. And it says here, sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. And we want to become better. If we're in sorrow, we reevaluate. Did I do something to cause this? If I did something to cause this, what is it I did that I may not do it again? Maybe it was a sin. Maybe it's a thought process. Maybe it's because I'm not seeing it through God's eyes, and so it, it sorrows me. But if it causes an evaluation, and it causes me to examine my life, as the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13, and it causes me to reevaluate and get to where I am, hey, that is a good thing. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. You learn more wisdom in the house of mourning, and that's M-O-U-R-N-I-G. But the heart of fools is in the house of mirth or joy or glee or gladness. That's what he's saying there. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. You learn more about wisdom in the house of mourning. You learn nothing like that in the house of mirth. And fools are the ones that park in the house of mirth. You don't want to park there. And let me just depart and, and add another little caveat there, because in the book of Psalms, there is a psalm that says that they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You see, there we're talking about the souls weeping for people who are lost, weeping for people who need the Lord, weeping for people who are going to die and go to hell. There is a heart throb of time to weep and to mourn. Remember back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 4, there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. He made that abundantly clear that there is a time for these things. And the Bible also makes it clear that he makes all things beautiful in his time. So the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools in the house of mirth. This just takes some Proverbs for the pathway. Let's get on there and get a good reputation of a good name. And let's go into the house of mourning 
and learn and grow and evaluate and see that we're not damaging that good name. See, it starts with that good reputation, that good name, and then the things that you evaluate to make sure you keep that good name. And let me say this, as a Christian, the good name that you want is the your name associated with anything automatically brings to somebody this thought, they are real in Christ. They have a strong testimony in Christ. In the movie Fireproof, the captain of the fire station there uh, is talking to one of the firemen who is talking about another fireman who knows Christ and saying things like, do you believe all that stuff that he says? He says, hey, whether or not what he says is true or not, you and I both know he's the real deal. See, he, in that movie, his name, his reputation was well known. Whether they believed what he believed or not didn't matter. He was the real deal. And my friend, that's exactly what you and I need to have a good testimony and a good reputation, bar none, bar none. Now, in verse 5 through 7, we see the next one with the better. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity, empty, meaningless, worthless. Surely oppression maketh a wise man, wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Now, a wise uh, rebuke. <laughs> the rebuke of the wise. Do you know what a rebuke is? You ever been rebuked? Okay. It, it's being uh, kind of corrected with a sternness. You know, hey, that's not right. You don't do that. It is a reproving. Uh, it's a, critic, a constructive criticism. Here, Listen, how many of us love to be corrected? How many of us go, oh, joy, I get to be corrected today? Well, the Bible says, for whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth and scourgeth every son. The Lord wants us to be able to be corrected. He wants us to listen to him as the Holy Spirit convicts to get right, and we can be corrected in the things that we're doing wrong. Well, we don't want to do that. Ooh, we're in trouble. When you do not want to accept that, you, then according to this, it is better to do that than for a man to hear the song of fools. What you're not, if you're not getting the rebuke of the wise, then you're getting the song of the fools. And that isn't a good thing at all. In fact, he said in the Proverbs, chapter 25, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. As an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold, so is a wise reprover upon an obedient ear. It's amazing. A word that's fitly spoken. Now, I realize the person doing the rebuking needs to do it in the right manner, the right way. But God does. God's spirit does. God never chastens in anything but total perfection. And he never chastens with uh, missing pieces of the puzzle. A lot of times we get scolded for things that maybe we didn't do because the person didn't have all of the facts. God always has all the facts. Some people may have a whole bunch of facts and it points to you and you know that you're part of it, but it wasn't all you. They don't have all the facts, but they have enough to, to make it you. But God always has all the facts all the time. Never does he ever come to a situation that he goes, well, I'll just wing this. He knows, he knows, he knows. 
Proverbs also says, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Rebuke is profitable. And my friend, rebuke is very, very profitable because it helps us to see something maybe we weren't looking at. It's not fun. No one likes it. Chastening for the present time doesn't seem to be joyous, the Bible says. But afterward, it does yield the fruits. The word rebuke is kind of stuns us. We don't like that. And in this day and age, nobody wants to be told that they're wrong. But my friend, if you don't, you're a fool. And you're hearing the song of the fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This is also vanity. Now, when you think about putting a bunch of thorns under a pot, basically, that would be very, very quick burning. Just boom, they just burn up. For like the crackling of the, you'll hear it crackling, and it just burns it up. That is laughter of the fool. When you are in the the song of fools, the laughter of fools, and instead of learning to grow and accepting the rebuke and growing up, this is empty, vain, worthlessness. It just burns up, and it's meaningless, and it has absolutely nothing. And he goes on and says, Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad. Listen, the word oppression there has cruelty, extortion. Certainly, this oppression can turn a wise man into a fool. That's what he means by a wise man mad. And a gift destroyeth the heart. So uh, what he's talking about here is bribing somebody. Overlook this. Don't do this. Don't, don't go that way. It's rebuke. Take it. Learn. Grow. Examine. Even if you believe the rebuke is not warranted, just take a look and see what caused them to say it, and maybe you need to fix just something towards the way you act towards them. Maybe they're just totally mean people, and you, God's lazy, you did nothing wrong. But you examined yourself. That's the way to go. Now we come to the next one. Better, verse 8, is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Ah, now where are we at? We're doing here something that is very interesting. We're looking at the end of a thing versus the beginning of a thing. What is he saying here? It talks about achieving, finishing. Paul said, look, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. It's better to reach the end than the beginning. The beginning, you got a long way to run. At the end, you're just about done. You're just about home. So let's hang in there. The end of it all is better than the beginning. So let's think this through. If the end is better than the beginning, then I need to figure out how to get to the end from the beginning correctly. And the only way to get to the end from the beginning correctly, because the end is the most important thing, it's better than the beginning, I have to end well, is to, in between those two points, run well. Know you that all that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. And he says you do it lawfully there in 1 Corinthians 9, and you do it under the rules so that you will not become disqualified, a docomos, disapproved. 
And, and then we talk about looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's in the context of running the race. Letting, wherefore, seeing as we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And he says, lay aside the weight, the things that bog you down, get rid of them. And that sin that messes you up, that keeps you from running well, run in between the two. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Hey, a person that is proud is going against God. These six things that the Lord hate, and seven is abomination, and one of them is a proud look. We see here that we need to have a patient spirit instead of a proud spirit. The word patient has everything to do with being slow to blow up, slow to do these things because he makes it very, very clear as he continues on that we will be in trouble when we make haste. The Apostle Paul was very clear. None of the things that happened to him moved him. He did not even count his life dear unto himself because he wanted to finish his course with joy. A patient spirit is everything, and we need to strive to live with eternity in view, which is the end, when Christ either takes us through death or takes us through the rapture. That is the way to go. Now he says, interestingly enough, be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of a fools, or in the bosom of fools. Say not thou what is the cause of the former days, were better than these, for thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. Now, some people become angry at God over every little thing. And some people become angry at God and think that he's the one that's supposed to fix everything in their life. Some people think if it doesn't go their way, they have the right to tell God off. But that's not the way it works. The Bible says you can be angry, but sin not. Let not the sin go down upon your, sun go down upon your wrath. He says, let everybody be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. There's a lot of verses that deal with we need to do some things. In Colossians, put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, those are all connected. Be not hasty. Don't be quick to be angry. Don't do it. Don't have a spirit of anger because anger rests in the bosom of fools. And then he says in verse 10, Hey, don't look at it and say, well, the days before these days were better than these. I like, boy, the good old days. I long for the good old days. They've gone by. No, don't go down that road. You're not inquiring correctly. We're running out of time, so let me finish up. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. Not under, but see the sun. For wisdom is a defense, and money is a defense. And the, but the excellency of the knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that have it. My friend, we're out of time. But he said, here's some wisdom for the pathway. Here's some proverbs for the pathway. Stay on the pathway of life. And maybe some sense will come out of it. Solomon's trying to figure it out through the wisdom that he has between worldly wisdom that he's dealing with now and the wisdom he used to have of God. This is Pastor Walton. Have a great yes, day. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true.
what he said he would do How I love his precious word It thrills me through and through I believe every word is true Oh, I believe every word that he said is true I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do How I love his precious word It thrills me through and through I believe every You've been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.